King Limhi in the Book of Mormon has a problem. His people are in bondage, and because of that bondage, they're suffering. They're looking for deliverance. When Ammon and his people come from Zarahemla, they're bringing deliverance, not just physically, but ultimately they will offer spiritual deliverance as well. The whole history of Israel is wrapped up in bondage and deliverance, suffering and relief. Join us today as we talk about King Limhi, his rescue, and ultimately what happens when people for all the right intentions become overzealous in how they handle the gospel and their lives. And welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within his pages. And now, on to the class. All right. And again, as we uh, so I start this up, uh, remember too that uh, if, if somebody isn't able to be here, we're able to record it. So I, I put it out as a podcast, uh, uh, kindly disguised as Monday morning Book of Mormon class. <laughs> it's not hard to find on Facebook. Um, all right. Well, let, let's begin. Now, what we need to do here is let, let's, let's update our story so far. I talked to uh, Brother Hayes. He said that it managed to get you through King Benjamin's address in one piece. Uh, so now let's pick up the story after this. And we're going to go with, first of all, we have, uh, th you have to think about the timing of all of this. So we have uh, King uh, Mosiah, who's going to work to establish peace. He's trying to unite the tribes. They get everybody together. They've got to fight off the Lamanites. Uh, they're trying to pull it all together. They've got to start reteaching the gospel because it has been hundreds of years that the Nephite society has been in kind of an apostasy. And now they're starting to come back and they're teaching. He's, he's Omni says they've employed prophets and they're preaching. They're fighting off the Lamanites. They get them all there. Then it's good. And then King Benjamin takes over. He's going to finish fighting off the Lamanites with his own sword. And, you know, he does all of that. And then we're getting to this stage of uh, um, uh, getting everybody together. And now they have to reestablish the covenant. The covenant somehow got lost. Uh, there's a lot of knowledge they don't have. So King Benjamin's first plan then is to go ahead and reignite that covenant with the people. Have them recognize what they're doing. They say their hearts have changed. So now he's reestablished the covenant. Now we have peace in Zarahemla. Now, typically, whether it's us or anybody else, What's the first thing we do after we establish peace and re, uh, join the church or establish a covenant? What's the next thing we do? Because it's part of the pattern. Another party? Yes, we, we, we've had our party, right? Okay, and then what? We prosper. Then we start to prosper, but we are so excited about what we've received what do we then do? What did Enos, as soon as Enos knew in the book of Enos that he had been, his sins have been forgiven, what's the first thing he starts doing? Share. He wants to share. At that moment he says, who else is out there that I can tell? And in this case, uh, 
the people in Zarahemla are like, okay, we finally established peace, things are good. Who's missing from our table? And who is missing from their table? It'd be nice to get the Lamanites if the Lamanites would come. Are you still talking about their people of Zarahemla? Who left the city of Zarahemla? Remember, go back, go back in your history. Right at the end of Omni, we're finding out that uh, there are people that are, go, that are streaming to go back to the land. It says of Lehi-Nephi. They've gone off to establish their initial, the original land of inheritance. So part of us is there. There are part of our people that don't know what King Benjamin said. They're part of our people. We don't know how things are faring for them. We have family members. They're all up the mountain, way up there. How are they doing? We don't know. That's a great idea. Let's do that. Let's send a group and weak, weak guys. No, these are going to be strong dudes. <laughs> you know, we're going to send these strong guys up there to do what? Go find them, connect with them, find out what's going on. And it says that they wearied King Ben, King Mosiah the second, right? They weary him. Okay, we're going to send those guys up there. And so now we get Ammon and the sixteen dudes <laughs> that are going to go up there, and off they go. Okay. Do they know where this is? Oh, heck no. They're going to wander, right? And it says that they suffer all kinds of deprivations and starvation. And, but they're wandering their way through the wilderness. They have no idea. But they make it. Okay. So the idea here is that after, after you establish peace and you've established a covenant with God, the next thing uh, after you begin your reign and things are good You've got to go find other people. It's not unusual for people to join the church and then they get excited about this. And the first thing they do is they want to tell their friends. Let's get everybody. And so now, now what's about to happen is that we're going to go find a, send out a search party to see if we can't find uh, these people. Now, I find it interesting that one of the patterns that Happens a lot, but we see it in Nephite society, but we also see it especially Israel. Israel is really good at doing a little wandering, and when they wander, what happens? They end up in bondage, okay? And they stay in bondage until when? They got to get rescued, okay? That's the pattern. And then, like you were saying, then they get rescued, they get here, they get prosperous, things go bad, and they'll either wander physically or they wander spiritually. They're going to wander. And in this case, we've got those that have wandered. Uh, just, uh, they are now in bondage, uh, and they are seeking deliverance. Now, here's what I find interesting about this. Think about what, it, what is occurring here, if you, if you just picture it. King Benjamin has established a covenant, and we are at peace. And finally the war is done, we're come out of apostasy, and we're fine. But what's going on from us, away from us, maybe a hundred miles away? Our people are in bondage. Do they know that? Not yet. They just know they're out there somewhere. Okay? They don't even know that they're out there anymore. Let's find out what happened to them. Yeah, yeah. What they don't know is that they have people of their tribes of, of Israel that are in bondage. Now, what we're going to see here through this whole thing is like this symbolic thing that ought to apply to us really, really well. Are there people around us that are in bondage? Did they wander? Yeah. Are they in bondage? Yes. Do they always know they're in bondage? Nah. I've, I'll give you an example. I've got a, I've got a friend of mine who has a, uh, a daughter who is an alcoholic. She wandered from the church a long time ago. She's, she's an alcoholic. She continues to struggle. 
Now, if you were to ask her for the last year, if you were to ask her, are you in bondage? She would have said, no, nah, I can stop anytime. <laughs> I drink because I like to drink, and anytime I want to stop drinking, I can stop drinking. I'm not in bondage. There's no bondage here, okay? It's only been in the last couple of months she started to go, maybe I can't stop. <laughs> maybe this has more of a hold over me than I thought. And there's that moment when they go, I, A, I'm in bondage, and B, I can't do this on my own. When, when uh, Cindy and I were running the uh, addiction recovery program, it was funny how often people would never make it past the very first step in the addiction recovery program. Anybody know what step one is? What's the first step? That we admit to ourselves and to others that we are, our lives are unmanageable. Yeah, what's the, what's the big word before that one? I, ha I came to admit that what? I am? No. Close. I had, I came to admit that I was powerless. And then I would have people like, oh, heck no, I'm not, I'm out of here. They're gone. Yeah. So bondage is kind of tricky because most people don't think they're in bondage. And they think it's binary. Yes. Okay, bondage, and you're either in bondage or you're out of bondage. Yeah, good. Yeah. And bondage isn't binary. It's more like you have all these uh, rubber bands attached to you. And each one is a bond. And the more you have, the more bound you are. But everyone in this room is in bondage. In some way. But, but we're not 100% in bondage. And so it's easy for us to deny that we're in bondage. Yeah, I can control this whenever I want. Now, if you don't think you're in bondage, think about how many times you make a New Year's resolution. I'm now going to... Wake up at 5.30 every morning, I'm going to go work out, you know, I'm going to no longer eat sugar, uh, I'm going to read the Book of Mormon every day, and then how long does our New Year's resolution last? <laughs> okay. At some point, we have to recognize that we have become addicted to our habits, sometimes it's substances, sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's just whatever it is. We are in some type of bondage. And I like that idea that you, you see it as gradations along the way. Guys that struggle with pornography didn't start off being addicted in bondage to pornography. They don't. The first time they're going to look at pornography, it, it's not addicting. But it tickles the senses. It tickles the, the limbic system. And they get a flow of, of chemicals that it feels really good. And pretty soon they're back to it a little bit more, and then it's a little bit more. Uh, I love how uh, was it Nephi put it that slowly the, Satan is going to wrap you in what? Flax and, flax and what's a flax and cord? Very soft, very comfortable. Yeah, yeah. and he's going to slowly wrap you in these flax and cords until $30 in debt. until we're thirty trillion dollars in debt. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it just suddenly you go wait a minute I can't get out of this and I have to admit that I'm powerless and then I don't want to admit that I'm powerless for years and years when it came to the addiction recovery program I had clients and I would not send them to the 12-step program because my therapy was built on I want you to be capable people that can handle anything and I'm trying to make you more capable the last thing I'm going to do is send you to a program that's going to teach you that you are powerless and I was such an idiot because it doesn't matter that so even if if we look at the grand scheme of things in mortality to a we're certain we have a, there was a powerlessness to us and we needed what deliverance the atonement is the great delivering moment and, and, and power in our daily lives that we're drawing on this enabling power to strengthen us. Because we're powerless in and of ourselves. Yeah. Wasn't it Paul who gloried in the fact that he was in bondage? Yes, he did. He did. Paul says, hey, you know, I, and, he, and he's speaking partly to slaves. 
You know, he'd write, he'd write to these guys, and they're like, yeah, we're slaves. Yep, me too. I'm a slave to sin. You know, and I hate it. I hate that I do things, this is Romans 7, uh, I hate the things that I do because I can't basically stop them. Okay? So, but I'm going to glory that I'm in bondage, and I'm going to move that bondage from sin to I'm in bondage to the Savior, and I love that. That's better. I, but I'm still recognizing that I'm powerless along the way, right? So when he's glorying in the fact that he's in bondage to Christ, that there's a difference between he's bound to Christ. Yes. But, but bondage is something that is non-voluntary. And bound is voluntary. So I'm sealed to my wife, but she doesn't have to put up with me if she doesn't. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll ask her about that later. <laughs> yeah. Well, didn't we have a temple president in Dallas that used to say, there's going to be a lot of surprise men on resurrection morning? <laughs> I put up with you for a long time. That doesn't mean I have to put up with you for the eternities, <laughs> unless you clean your act up. Okay. Uh, so anyway, we get this set. So they are in bondage, and they are waiting for deliverance. Two, we have two groups up there. Who's up there? The group of Limhi and his people that we're about to meet, and who's the other group? Alma, who's also in, in bondage. Those, those two groups are out there. This is all happening simultaneously. Okay? All right. But this is what Israel does. It wanders. It ends up in bondage. It needs to be delivered. Okay? So let, let's hop over for just a second um, over to Mosiah 7. This would be hard to read back there, wouldn't it? Let's see if we can't. One or two? A or B? <laughs> okay, I'm going to drop that just a little bit. All right. All right, so uh, verse two. King Messiah is going to grant that 16 of the strong guys uh, can go up to that land of Lehi, Nephi, to inquire what happened to them. Ammon's going to lead out. He's a descendant of Zarahemla, which is really interesting because this is not the first inheritance for the Mulekites. But he may have family members that are up there. So he's going to be their leader. Okay? Uh, That's true. So again, it's not their original land of inheritance, but it's about family, I think. Okay? So they're going to go up there, uh, and, and, and by the way, so when they, when they get there, uh, verse 6, Ammon uh, is going to take three of his brethren. I still don't think we can see that very well. Hold on. That better? Yes. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, so they're gonna they're gonna get there. They travel forty days. They get to the hill uh, north of Shilom, uh, and he's gonna take three guys. Uh, they're gonna meet the king of the the land of Nephi, who is Limhi. Uh, but immediately they're going to be bound and taken and committed to prison. Wouldn't you think those that are in bondage would be grateful to have somebody show up that might be able to deliver them? Why would anybody who's in bondage be rejecting and suspicious of somebody else coming to help them? Yeah, well, and we know the we know the backstory as we're reading this, right? That they had had some experiences. So, so let me say this again: Why would somebody think globally who is in bondage be rejecting the efforts of people trying to deliver them? Myself, I would be suspicious until I had tried them. And why would you be suspicious? Because of experiences. I've had because of experiences, right? 
Are you saying that people that are in bondage may have some like trust issues? Yes. <laughs> Remember. You're not foolish if you just go out and give every, your trust to everybody. Especially if your experiences has been that doesn't always turn out really well, right? So oft times, listen closely, those that are in bondage are going to be resistant to those trying to rescue them until they really understand who they are. Okay? Those who are in bondage will be resistant to those trying to rescue them until they know who they are. Okay? Just let that land for a second. Yeah. Well, they had sent out their own people to try and find the people. Yeah, and they weren't having any luck either, right? And they had their question answered. We found dead bones. Yes. Yeah. That's Somebody else. So, in other words, I, I've got trust issues. Now, I remember, remember uh, President Monson's really good-hearted effort to say, you know what, the, our, my presidency is going to be about to the rescue. We're going to rescue people. We're going to go out and rescue these people. We're working on rescue. We're going to do rescuing uh, when we have state conference. What are we going to do? We're going to send out rescue visits. You know, everybody pair up and go out and do rescue visits. Okay? Sometimes that worked. Why wouldn't that not work? A lot of people said, I don't want to be rescued. I don't want to be rescued. A, I'm not in bondage. And B, I don't trust that to be rescued by you. And C, I don't want to think I don't want to be rescued back to what I think I'd have to go back to. So off we went to rescue and we kept having people going, nah, sorry. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really ready to be rescued. I don't want to be rescued. And they're really saying, I don't trust you. But it also means I've had experiences in the past when people tried to rescue me and I ended up in bondage. It also feels very judgmental to have somebody come. It is a bit judgmental. Hey, I've come here to rescue you. <laughs> I, what, what do you think? That, remember that, that there was a, a stretch there a few years ago where uh, the, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention decided to have their, their annual meeting where? In Salt Lake. In Salt Lake. Why? To rescue. to rescue. Okay. Which, you know, people tried to be nice, but it's like, hey, we're here to rescue you, uh, wayward Mormons. Uh, and that wouldn't compare it all to all the time that I spent in England knocking on doors like, hey, I'm from America. I'm here to rescue you. <laughs> Sorry you got stuck in that uh, Church of England church, but I'm going to rescue you from that. Okay? Or, well, no, but we would say we have a message to share with you. But the basic message is, uh, especially in those days where we got, well, we've been baptized. Yeah, but our baptism's better. <laughs> We have keys and you don't have keys. Oh, so ours is invalid. Yeah. Ours has been around a lot longer. Yeah, I know, but we're rescuing you because we're smart. Yeah, that, that would go well. Yeah. We were young. <laughs> and we're young. And, <laughs> yeah. We were in Salt Lake during that time, and a young girl came up to me on the street corner and said, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And I said, I do. And she goes, oh, good. And she wrote it in her book that she had converted somebody. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's right. I didn't believe till this moment. Now I've confessed, and now I'm... <laughs> the, even more fun, when I was serving in uh, Manchester, uh, Manchester has a lot of uh, Jewish uh, uh, homes and people and stuff like that. Uh, and, and we would walk up to a door, and I'd see this... Uh, uh, mezuzah on the door and it's like oh it's a Jewish home and so we were all set hi you're from Judah we're from from uh, the other tribes we're here to get you well really yeah away from your Judah we're brothers let's talk no <laughs> we're not we're not about to but we know what you're up to we're not being rescued by you okay um, so I, I, I do think it's interesting then that we get to this point uh, where they're going to try and rescue. Uh, it's going to be initially rebuffed. Until they find out, he's going to say, verse 9, um, I am Limhi, the son of Noah, who was the son of Zenith, who came up out of the land. Uh, and I desire to know what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. Okay, we, we've read this. Now, one of the things we're going to find here um, is that as he starts to recount his history, 
One of the things that we're going to find right away, um, he says, uh, let's see. Let me do it this way. Okay. Okay, here we go. Verse 15. Oh, look. That's who you are. Okay, let me tell you about us. Uh, we are Nephites and we were powerless uh, to overcome this, right? For behold, uh, we are in bondage to the Lamanites and are taxed with a tax which is grievous to be born. And now behold, our brethren, these guys right here, guys, uh, by the way, they're, they're, they're speaking. Let me just throw this in here. They're talking at the temple. And if this is the same temple that Nephi built, I calculated that this temple would be about 450 years old. Okay? Or maybe it was destroyed and there's another built on the top of it. But if this is, and it's possible that it is. Okay? Now, 15. We're in bondage to the Lamanites, and our tax with the tax is grievous to be borne. And these guys, our brethren, will deliver us out of our bondage or out of the hands of the Lamanites. And we don't even mind. We're willing to stay in bondage. We'll be slaves to the Nephites. That'd be better. Okay? Um, and they, and they, so they have come to rescue us. Now, so 18. Oh, my people, lift up your heads and be comforted. For behold, the time is at hand, and it's not far distance when we will shall, shall no longer be in subjection to our enemies. Uh, nevertheless, our struggles which have been in vain, yet I trust, and I love this phrase, there remaineth an effectual struggle to be made. An effectual struggle. We're going to effectually try and get out from underneath this. Okay, now, um, he, he's now going to do two things uh, that I think is really kind of important as we look at this. Okay, look at 19. Therefore, lift up your heads and rejoice and put your trust in God. And then who is he going to invoke here? In that God, who was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and caused that they should walk through the Red Sea. Uh, it's interesting that we're doing this. This, this week is actually Sukkot uh, for, uh, in Judaism where they're in under tabernacles and they have like, they build little tabernacles out in their backyard and people are going to come to visit, but you've got to be able to see through this to the stars because we're going to commemorate the time we were in the wilderness and God was rescuing Israel. So called the Feast of Tabernacles. We're in tabernacles. Okay? Uh, brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and caused that they should walk through the Red Sea on dry ground and fed them with manna that they did not perish in the wilderness. What, what is it that these, these people of Lehi know and understand? The Old Testament. These are very Old Testament people. The images that he's going to invoke of deliverance is all going to be Old Testament images, which tells you what does Limhi have access to most likely? He's got the scriptures. Most likely some copy of the brass plates. Okay, so they are Old Testament people. They understand Old Testament language. They understand Old Testament deliverance. And, and he's going to use that framework talking about Moses. Yeah. I was watching Follow Him, and he Smith recommended Messages of Christ on YouTube by Daniel Smith, who's a member of the church. Uh -huh. And he like does like all of these, like the Feast of Tabernacles, they're real short. Yeah. I've learned so much from watching his messages. Of yeah, and, and again, that's the value, I think, of understanding the Old Testament. But understanding what they do here and what they're thinking is, these are Old Testament people. And not just because they're living before the time of Christ, but they get it. Remember, when King Noah is challenging, when we get to King Noah's priest challenging Abinadi, who do they start quoting? Who are the priests quoting to Abinadi? Isaiah. Isaiah. Okay, they get it. And that they're framed. Now, they have twisted it a bit. They don't, uh, they don't always see the right interpretation. But these are Old Testament people. So to talk about deliverance means some things. 
Ammon here is our Moses. He's about to show up, and we don't know how that's going to work, but we get it. We have a history of people being delivered. Isn't this cool? All right, this is, is going to work. We're going to make this happen. All right, yeah. So I don't think they get it as a fair statement. Now, almost any time you said they get it, I disagree. They, they get the Old Testament idea. They, they have a perception, and, and they can relate, but the way they perceive it is generally quite wrong. I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Okay? And, and so part of what it's going to take is, because the first thing he's going to do is, you are Old Testament people. What is the first thing that Ammon is going to kind of do to change their perception? What's he going to refer to, uh, rehearse to them? Just a sec. Okay? Go down here. Uh, and then I'll come back. That's oh, the next, next one. First thing he's going to do is tell them about King Benjamin. Their perception needs to be changed. Let me take the Old Testament understanding. Um, so one of the joys I had just in, in this last couple of weeks was uh, as we were in Corinth and we were in Ephesus and, and things like that. Here's Paul. What is Paul using to preach Christ? What the people in Ephesus already understand. Yes. He, so he takes their knowledge. But if I'm going to walk into a synagogue... He's preaching Christ out of the Old Testament. I'm going, to I'm going to prove to you from Isaiah, from Psalms, from Proverbs, uh, all of these things that Christ is Christ, that Jesus is Jesus, and I'm going to do it out of the Old Testament. So it, it's there. There's a richness there, but he's going to use what they know here uh, to, to work with. And then he's going to add on top of that. Uh, here's the new knowledge. Here's the new understanding. Ammon's going to do the same thing. So it's a bridge to a transition. Yeah, let's get you. Let's get you a little farther down the road by by bringing this new knowledge to you. But right now, let's start off with an understanding from an Old Testament standpoint. Now, uh, now, one of the things that I put in verse twenty here. Any time that we find ourselves in a predicament, you know, where, where am I in this handbasket and how did I get here, <laughs> basically, okay? They're going to say, first of all, yes, we're in bondage, but let's now figure out, how did we get here? How did we end up in bondage? It's easy for an alcoholic. I know how I ended up in bondage. <laughs> I drank too much. And I drank consistently and I turned down any offers to change that. Okay? But in this case, here we go. Verse 20. And again, the same God that brought our fathers out of the land of Jerusalem. Oh, wait a minute. There is another bondage deliverance thing. There's Moses out of Egypt, but there's also who else? Lehi. Lehi out of Jerusalem. It's the same pattern. But Laman and Lemuel, they get it. They're Old Testament. They are Old Testament people. They're Deuteronomists. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so there. Here we go. So it, it's because of our. So how come we ended up in this situation? Look at the bottom part of twenty. This same God. And behold, why are we here? It's because of our iniquities and abominations. So first of all, he's going to say it was our unworthiness that got us here. Okay, And by the way, the Old Testament is pretty clear on, you know, if you do bad things, your cities go away. So we sort of got that one. Okay, It's because of our iniquities and abominations that he's brought us into bondage. Now, I think, now here's the one that I think jumps out at me. But there's another one that they says, so specifically, how did we end up in bondage? In the first place, look at this. Verse 21, ye are witnesses this day that Zenith, who was made king over this people, he being what? Overzealous. Okay, so let's stop for a second. So he's going to say part of how we ended up in this handbasket was due to overzealousness. So, so here, here's my question to you. Isn't it good to be zealous? 
Yes. Don't we strive to be zealous? Captain was zealous. He was zealous, right? Okay. Where is the dividing line, guys, between being zealous? Paul said over and over, I was zealous for the law. I, that, that's who I am. I was zealous for the law. Okay? I follow after the tradition of a man by the name of Finhas in the Old Testament who uh, managed to stab people and kill them when they were bad. Where is the dividing line between zealous and non-zealous? And hold on just a sec. We'll give them a shot first. When you get blind, you're blind by your own ambition. So how, how does that work? How blind, you say blindness enters into that line. You can't see, the, you, you don't have the wisdom to see what's your, what your trouble you're putting yourself in because you want what you want. But, but if you're zealous wanting the right thing, I want the right stuff. I'm zealous for God. I'm zealous for the church. How would that end up working against me? How would it go overzealous? Well, you think you can do it yourself. Oh. So you're saying it could be that somewhere in that overzealousness, this is the right thing to do it, and maybe I don't need any help. And I can make it happen. Yes. Because, and I, I, was, I was poking fun of this in, in, state in the Richardson State Conference, because I'm self-reliant. <laughs> and you're, you're blind to, I mean, God, would, God may tell you something else, and you're, you, you don't see that. So, ah. you don't, because you can't, you can't see it. You are, okay, that's your caution, God, but I'm going ahead because I'm wanting to do the right thing. And if I, so yes. You're, you're giving yourself your own prophecy. Okay, so, so let me give you an example of that one. Okay. I got an example. I've lived it. Too. <laughs> You've been there, right? Okay, so if you, are, if you are the separatists in England, right about the time that this new America is being discovered, you are separatists and you want to worship a certain way, but the king and the Church of England is really putting you down. So, we, so we're going to sail as pilgrims to the new world in search of religious freedom. We are zealous for God and the Bible. We're going to do this right. Okay? So we're going to go. We land in the new world, and we're now, these separatists are now going to do it right. And what's the first thing that they do? <laughs> They start excluding other people. Yeah, in other words, this zealousness then at some point crosses over to something that's not real Christ-like. But it started from that root, yeah? Okay, I remember having a conversation with my mother before she passed away. Yeah, yeah. And one of the conversations that we had was, you Mormons just think your church is the only true church. <laughs> and then my thing was, well, Mommy, why would you belong to a church if you didn't think it was a true church? But now, looking forward, this is what, years later now, President Nelson gave us a very strong message in conference that, you know, we need to recognize there's good people and good religions in the world. Yes, because part of the problem in our overzealousness of saying we have the truth, one of the misnomers that comes with we are the only true and living church on the face of the earth means we have all the truth. Which really then says to the Baptist, to Judaism, to Islam, what are we saying to them? You're wrong. You're wrong. You've got nothing. And what does it say to those of us that are standing inside the only true and living church? You have nothing to teach me. There's nothing in your writers. There's nothing in your inspired writing that has any purpose for me. Because if it isn't, if it isn't an LDS writer, I'm going to automatically disclaim it because it's not part of the true and living church. They didn't have the priesthood. And the proper keys. Okay? All right. By the way. So, example of overzealous. Joseph Smith asks the Lord, can I give Martin Harris this 116 pages to show to his wife and family? The Lord says no. That was a zealousness to try and help Martin. The overzealousness was when he came back and he asked again and again. Yeah. It's the right thing. Good Be a good example. That makes me wonder whether or not Zenith said... Hey, we've just cleared all the Lamanites out of the wilderness. And boy, I went down there and saw this place. It looks like a wild. It looked awesome. And, uh, it's got a, got a temple. It's got a nice land. We have 
Yeah. Possession of this. What do you think? And King Benjamin said, I'm not sure that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. He says, well, can we do it? Can we do it? Can we do it? Yep, yep. Well, I'm not sure that's a good idea. But are you telling me no? <laughs> I want what I want, and by the way, it's for a good purpose. I, I, I remember very clearly the night sitting with people that, that were trying to uh, uh, have us get involved in a multi-level marketing program, okay? And do you know what their main selling point was? We're, gonna go, we're going to visit every temple on the face of the earth. That's the, we're actually doing that. And then I said, and make a lot of money. And he says, but the Lord loves that because think how much tithing we're going to pay. <laughs> you know, it's like these, these, these goals and things get twisted when we start to cross over into something. Okay? Yeah. I can see. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Here and then here. And then maybe using our understanding to justify some of the things that we do. And we try to justify it by our morality. I like that. But we are leaning on the stuff we really wanted in the first place. <laughs> to get what I really want, but I can maybe put a church coding on it. And by the way, I can feel good about it. Because I don't see it. I'm, bondage comes with a deception, and I don't really see where I'm missing it. Yeah? Well, it made me think of Ellen Redmond's talk where people will pray about what they want and think that what they're getting is from the Lord, and it's really not. It's from another spirit. And I think that there's a lot of good people that sometimes get very deceived yes. by praying for what they want. It reminds me, my sister lived in... Germany, not too far, not too long after World War II, so she was around a lot of people who lived there during World War II. Yeah. And like there was a teenage boy who lived there who stood up for the Jews and against the Nazis, and he ended up being excommunicated. He did. Executed. Yeah. And it, it was, he was following the Lord's spirit, but he was surrounded by people who were listening to another. Yeah, and so on one side he was doing. He, he was doing a good work, but on the other side, he put his branch, his entire branch at risk. That's why he was excommunicated. Tough, tough decision to say he's doing the right thing, but the way he's going about it maybe is hard. Excommunicated from what? From the church. From our church. He, yeah, he, yeah, he was Well, I think it, it wasn't just that. It, it, it was the fact that by what he was doing, and they knew that it was an LDS guy, he was bringing additional uh, scrutiny on members of the church. Yeah. It was the, was the problem there. So. Okay? You ready? Well, about the you asked a question that was different than the question I thought you were asking. <laughs> You're asking the difference between zealous and not zealous? But no. Intended to ask between zealous and overzealous. That's it. Okay, so uh, Paul talked about how he was zealous. So zealous people really uh, are anxiously engaged in their cause, but their minds are not closed. Yeah. They're willing to learn. Great they're still teachable. Right. Yeah. Overzealous people are not teachable. Because why? Could we start to zero in a little bit on, yeah? I'll tell you the one that I've that, that's shown up in my office uh, from time to time. Uh, for all the best intentions, sometimes, especially those that were maybe baptized in what I keep joking about, the obedience 70s and 80s, you know, where there was a real emphasis on, on obedience. And so they... Uh, I've, I've talked to people that were raised by parents who joined the church as adults in the 70s and 80s. And they were zealous about the gospel that then uh, started to cross over into overzealousness at time. It became so rigid uh, that they felt like they were kind of in bondage at home. And by the time they get to me, they left the church as soon as they could because, and then I'll talk to parents and it's like, 
They looked at it and said, yeah, we were converts. We love the gospel. We probably went a little harsh. We, maybe we went too much. And we could have been a little bit more uh, loving about the way that we enforced, you know, while you're under my roof, you will go to church, dang it. <laughs> you know, you will, you will get your fanny out of bed. We're going to be there. Otherwise, Jesus is going to be disappointed in you. We're going. Okay? And, and what they're saying when they say, while you're under my roof, what's the flip side to that? And as soon as you're not, you don't have to. Yeah. So you're going to go there rather than working with somebody to say, why is it you don't want to go? Let's talk about how we can handle it differently. I'm sorry you feel that way. Let's figure out how to get you there. Okay? Rather than you will, if, if, if you don't go to seminary, you're grounded, Buster. You, you're, you're not going to be able to drive until you go back to seminary. <clears throat> yeah. Like, you know, you know, she's like, everyone says, oh, I feel the spirit. And she's like, I don't feel anything. Yeah. Okay. And that's okay. It's okay if they feel it. It's okay that you don't. It's just they're, they're sitting in a place where they want to work at it a little bit more to receive it. Yeah. And so we don't try and put this iron fist down. And I tell her, look, I'm not trying to be like, I'm forcing you into this. I said, as a parent and as your dad and I have discussed and decided, this is what we think is best for you. Yeah. And so we had to give her, like what we did is we gave her a choice either going to, to missionary prep or seminary. Because I'm like, you know, okay. she didn't really want to decide. She didn't want to do it. So then we're like, okay, that means we decided. So I decided because I was like, hey, Sunday, one, an hour and a half, instead of getting up at six o'clock in the morning, I'm like, let's go, mission prep. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and so I, what I want you to hear, I think, is that I think it makes it a little bit hard when we have to look at ourselves because I think every case is so unique, right? And, and, and I think it's a question that we have to ask ourselves. Am I being zealous or am I being overzealous? And a lot of times how that's going to be perceived to others, maybe one of those signals that says, in some ways I may be saying the same thing, but how I say it and how we go about it and, and everything is coming from the best of intentions. But if, if it's landing in a way that is harsh and we're going to get a pushback, we might have to look at how we're doing it and then reframe it a little bit differently. Okay, And maybe work more collaborative Let's figure out how to do it. What is it you want to do? What would be the best road to get here? Here's what I can live with. What, what can you, you know, we, we, reach a, we reach a deal. Yeah, here and then here. So um, when we, we realize, we see that uh, the moat in our, uh, yes. our someone else's eye, and we know what they need to learn. Yes, because we know. And so, and, and we're maybe even right about what they need to learn. But what we're not looking at is what do I need to learn? And we're not looking at how will they learn? How can they learn this? And so we go in blazing and just try to cram what they need to learn down their throat. Yeah. And, and it doesn't... And, and by the way, and we do it our way. But, but if, we, if we go to the Lord and ask the Lord to teach us, and we go to the person and ask the person yeah. to how we relate, yeah, that's right. then we both grow. And, and even saying, am I coming across too hard? Am I coming across too hard? How do we do this differently? You know, I'm going to work. Because in my world, this is how I learn. So I'm going to make, and show you're going to be like me, so I'm going to teach you the same way. Rather than saying, help me to know who they are. And we're going to do it in a way that, in language that they understand, not the way I understand. Yeah. Um, you know, I've gone through this. <laughs> we collaborating with the uh, very belligerent teenager. My 12-year-old right now is very much, am I being forced? <laughs> yes. Are you making me pass the sacrament? I'm like, do I have a choice that I can pray? And um, one of the things that we try to do and I've actually talked with um, Carrie about, is where you're telling your kid, one of my responsibilities as a parent is to help teach you, yeah. to help you form habits. And so as they're like with my 12 year old, they're getting to that age 
where, like at night, I'm like, I invite you. <laughs> okay, there we go. But I think that's a big thing is that I keep talking to my kids and saying, well, my job as a parent, one of my things is to impart to you. Te to teach you things. Yes, and, and how you go forward with that gives you decision. Yeah. It is so, this is so hard but, but because again uh, I, I think a, a, as a parent we should be asking all the time beware of what works beware of what works beware of what works what works in the short run may not be a, anywhere close to what we want to happen in the long run that's why that's why I've teased over and over if somebody if you want a kid to do his homework use a taser <laughs> Because if, you, if, they, if your sole goal is they're going to do their homework tonight, a taser will work. And enough tasing, they will do their homework. Now, will they do it tomorrow night? No. Will CPS get called? Yeah. You know, you're going to be arrested for child? Yes. But if your sole goal was that homework happens tonight, then a taser works. Now, if you're wanting to train somebody to be a responsible adult, then homework may not happen tonight, and I'm trying to find another way to do it. But in our overzealousness, dang it, you'll get, remember the old days, you will get your eagle, or you won't be driving, buster. Because my goal is that you get the eagle rather than I want you to be a responsible adult. Okay, yeah. So this discussion sounds very similar to the discussion when you're trying to teach missionaries to be bold but not overbearing. Yes, yeah, and yes. The function of love and what you do and how you approach it, it makes all the difference. Yeah. Is it, is it compulsion or is it love? Well, and I think, you know, when I've had people say, well, I talked to my, I talked to my son last night. Okay, stop. Did you talk 80, at least 80% of the time? Yes, then that wasn't a talk, that was a lecture. A collaborative discussion means we're going to share things back and forth. I think in overzealousness, if you can picture yourself telling something to your kids or grandkids or youth or something like that, and you can picture yourself standing up, them sitting down, and you waving your finger, then it's probably overzealous. If, if you sit down and we're having a discussion, you share, I share, we come up with a plan and an idea, then it's probably collaborative and it's probably zealous because I'm listening as much as I'm talking. If I'm overzealous, I'm not hearing anything. I'm just telling. Yeah. So when you talk to your son last night, a person might ask, okay, so how did that go? And if your answer is, well, I accomplished this, then that, that wasn't good. Absolutely. If your answer is, I learned this. Yes. I, I think so too. That's why sometimes I think when we were, when we when we see ourselves as the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, and we misunderstand that to say we have all the truth, uh, we do we do temples and family history and priesthood stuff pre dang well better than anybody. But there's in other religions they have things that we can learn, and I and and I, I was I was regretting the other day when I was on my mission that when we knocked on the. When we, when we knocked on the door of like a Catholic priest, it turned out to be a parish home, you know, and a priest shows up. And we just said, okay, yeah, we're here. Nice to see you. We're out of here, okay? I really wish I'd, I'd said as a missionary, could we set up a time to come talk? Not because I necessarily want to convert you, but I want you to teach me what you guys really believe. Help me to understand, because there are some beautiful truths in Catholicism. Um, uh, I, I, I had this I had this chat with my group just as we were pulling up to the Vatican Museum a couple of weeks ago. And I said, you're going to go in and you're going to see a lot of gaudy stuff and you're going to see a lot of gold and you're going to see lots of stuff. But I said, we need to be so grateful to Catholicism that they kept religion alive all these years. And when you stand in the Vatican Museum in front of the Piatta, the, the sculpture of Mary sitting there and Jesus is draped across there. If you don't feel the spirit, you're not listening. Because <laughs> that is just so <sighs> impressive and powerful that there was knowledge and beauty and truth there uh, and that we have things to learn from them. And ultimately, we will have the plan of salvation and temple stuff to teach them in the eternities. But man, let's just not turn it off because they're not us. What, that's in our overzealousness. We're going to be poorer 
by not listening to other people. So, all right, how are we doing? Yeah. And my husband was born and raised Catholic. He uh, uh, went through many, many as missionaries. And uh, when we live and our experiences make a huge difference in the way we see things. I know when the missionaries would come, we had some that would say, uh, do you want want to be baptized? And you know, Brian, who's been a jerk, he would say, I've already been baptized. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he, they would say, no, but you need Baptized by the correct. We have the keys and you don't. Yeah, by the correct priesthood. And he said, I had a priest baptized. You know, <laughs> their, you know, upbringing, their understanding. Sure. And, and, you know, and now, uh, you know, I'm very grateful. He, he is a member of the church now and stuff. But, but, you know, we think that we are giving, you know, our way is the best way. What, what would we do if that priest would come to our home and ask us if we wanted to be baptized the correct way? So, you know, we, we just have to see things. We got to recognize that we can learn from all people. And, I, and, and that's why I love that, what, what you're talking about, the difference between zealous and non-zealous is teachable and learning versus closed-mindedness, even if, it, if we feel like it's in the service of the right thing. We're not hearing. We're not teachable. We're not, right? Does that make sense? But I have a friend, a dear friend, who is Catholic, and he shared with me that he's really offended that our church thinks they're the only church. Yeah, yeah. And I asked him, what does the Catholic church think? <laughs> does the Catholic church think the Lutherans are right? No. Yeah. Do they think the Mormons are right? No. Do they think the Baptists are right? No. Does the Catholic church think there's any other church that is right? No. 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 And, and, uh, and I've got a friend who's Baptist. Same thing. Same thing. All the other churches are wrong, only the Baptists. Yeah. And I'm going to exclude anything that you have to teach me at all. But they're offended because we yeah. have the same feelings that they have. I was listening to comments the other day of a guy that is, uh, he's, he's Pentecostal minister, and he teaches out of the Book of Mormon on a regular basis. You know why it is that he loves the Book of Mormon? The anti-Nephi-Lehi's. He's very big in, in kind of the peace movement and wanting to, to foster peace. And he looks at the anti-Nephi-Lehi's and he goes, they are in the dead center of your book. That's the message of your book is the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. That's, that's what they're about. Oh, I thought the message was Christ. <laughs> it's that they got, they got Christ and the other guys sometimes miss that. Okay, he's saying it's about trusting Christ in there. And, he, and he, loves, he loves those guys. He just thinks that way of trusting the Lord and, and the hope of your eternity. Yeah, yeah. If, if only there was a book out there somewhere on <laughs> burying our swords. But anyway, uh, I was just one of the guys that was on the uh, on the ship with, in our group was uh, a guy that has co-written a book with uh, uh, Patrick Mason, a guy by the name of David Pulsifer, and we had a chance to talk a little bit about the importance of peace and and learning peace from other cultures and, and things like that. But the anti-Nephi-Lehi's are wait till we get to that one. So, all right, yeah. When I was a teenager in Philadelphia, we had a Jesuit priest who was uh, baptized into the church. His name was John Staley, and eventually became a teacher at BYU. So there is a teachableness among all people, but it needs to be among us as well as that. If we're listening, and I think zealous people are zealous to hear where other people are. I think if we're overzealous, we're not listening because we just think because our cause is right and just, then we're, we're going to justify not listening. And even our methods will, will, will be, yeah. I want to go back to Zenith and just say that my thought on this was that when Zenith was taking the people down, she was like, here's this land that's all developed, nobody's there. I'm taking you like Moses, but he didn't have the calling. Yeah, he just kind of did it. His own calling. 
It's yeah. a, so sometimes with a calling, maybe that, yeah? Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I know that always goes well, right? When you displace people out of their, uh, out of their land. Uh, man, <laughs> had such an interesting talk in, in Bethlehem with a guy by the name of George, who was a Palestinian Christian. And man, the discussion we had at Shepherd's Field talking as we're looking out and we can see uh, the, the land that Israel is using as a buffer between the Palestinians and the Israelites. That is Palestinian land, but they said, no, we're going to electrify the fence because you guys keep dropping bombs on us. So we're going to create a bigger space. And man, he's got a lot of mixed feelings. He loves Israel, but he's watching his land kind of get it, It's just such a difficult challenge to talk about. Anyway. Um, all right, so so we'll kind of look at finishing this up. We didn't get very far um, because there's a great discussion at the bottom here about, uh, uh, yea, I say unto you, great are the reasons that we have to mourn. Uh, we fell into transgression. And they're spending this time trying to say, how come we suffer? Um, and, and so let me, let, let me finish with this, just an idea, and maybe we'll develop this more uh, next week. And, and what, uh, what we're going to hear is, Behold, the Lord hath said, and again he said, and again he said, uh, I will not succor my people in the day of the transgression. And that, so we have to ask, you know, how much does God punish? How much does he make us? How much is our suffering caused by God? Did God did it? Okay, and I'm not going to answer that at the moment, but I want you to kind of sit on that. But here's the thought uh, above 29. If we suffer as a result of our transgressions, is it because God is directly punishing us or because we have turned away from the very being who is trying to heal us? That he would let, and, and you think about the God who weeps that is weeping with us. Is he wanting us to suffer, or does he suffer with us because we won't listen to what he's asked us to do? Like a parent. Like a parent that just has to watch kids do stupids. And wait till they finally fall off stupid mountain and land all the way at the bottom. It's like, maybe they'll finally hear. But all along you're suffering. But it wasn't your suffering. You didn't cause the suffering, but they are certainly suffering, and it's hard. Okay? So as we look at this, it's one of those questions we're going to keep asking. How much does God directly punish us versus how much does our actions cause that suffering? And he has to be there to succor us. But he's trying to succor, but if, you won't, if we won't let him in, if we won't answer the door, we've made, we've made it hard for that to happen. So, All right. Uh, final comments on this. Good, good discussion. To me, uh, I was thinking while we were talking all these different points that it comes down people re reject this a lot because this goes all of us that are here fought on the side of free agency yeah and free agency is uh and that principle is one of the biggest things that i feel in the church yeah. that i love the church for because god well but but as a parent are there times you wish you could have restricted little agency <laughs> not every night. <laughs> not every night, just occasionally. But I did, I did tell my kids all the time, well, like this lady over here, that I, you know, I don't make every decision right, but I'm doing the best I can, and I have the, the mission from the Lord to do this. And so I'm just asking you, in my wisdom, this is the decision I'm making. Will you support me? How, and how do we go about doing that? Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's, and they... They and it's such a it's such a tough answer. There's just not a clear, to, clearly defined space. So, any other comments? Yeah. Yeah. It's separate from this, but I really, really appreciate that the church focus right now is I don't remember which prophet said, "Bring what you got and love to add to it." Yeah, President Hinckley. Yeah, bring all the good you got, and let's see if we can't add to it. Yeah. Progress that to we have a lot to learn from you. Yes. And yes. What we have. I think there's really been a hey, we don't want to be stuck in our little bubble. 
what can we learn from you as well, even though we want to share the priesthood. And, and believe that you, what you have to share with us, you prayed, you tried to be a right person, you're entitled to some inspiration through the light of Christ. So you have some things that I could learn from. It's not an LDS source, but you go, when I f read it, I feel it, I can feel how inspired this is. I'm being taught. It's a Christ source. It's a Christ source. That's a great way to put it. So uh, anyway, uh, brothers and sisters, I, I think part of what happens with the Book of Mormon, it's written for our day, but I think it's written in a way that there are very real world lessons coming out of this. Uh, and, and, and if we take the time to pull from them the real world lessons, then we're being taught in a real world way. But sometimes we have to be able to pull back just a little bit and see where the story is. Uh, I bury my testimony that uh, the Lord intends us to kind of be zealous, but not overzealous, and maybe take some time this week and figure out what that is for you. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we get a closing prayer. Dear Father, we are so grateful to have gathered here this day and to have pondered in our hearts what does zealous really mean for each one of us. We pray, Father, that what we have learned, we will take it home and uh, find a place for it in our hearts that we might learn so that we might have a deeper understanding of our responsibility in the kingdom and to ourselves and to Thee. We're grateful for Kevin, grateful for his safety and his return and the opportunity that we have to learn from one another. And we ask these things humbly in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right. Have a great week. See you next week.